0: Welcome back to the Homeschool Advantage podcast. I'm your host, Bex Buzzy, and today is Thursday Teacher Talk, and we'll be talking about lesson activities and briefly time requirements. To recap, we've been going over learning objectives. We've also talked about what materials do you and your students need? Talked about the conditions in your classroom or the conditions of your learning environment we have talked about hooks attention grabbers and setting the stage and now we are at lesson activities and time requirements super excited to be able to get into this with you so go grab your coffee go grab your tea and a pen and paper because you're not going to want to miss what i have to say Let's get into the podcast. Today's lesson is on lesson activities and time requirement. I'm hoping to help you with your lesson plans. The difference here is that in the classroom setting, I have to think about the amount of time I have to teach this one subject or topic. So as a classroom teacher, I have to focus on time activities. You, however, you don't. You can go on trips and work with or without resources. So here's really where we're going to see a huge dichotomy. And I hope that right here I can show you how what you do will hands down trump the potential I have. But it is my experience that I want to share with you. So that you can use this freedom of yours and run and feel very accomplished. So with our lesson plans, we're going to talk about strategies, methods, and techniques. Now, side note, even though you really don't have a time requirement issue, you don't want to beat a dead horse. Because there are concepts that you're trying to teach your students. And when you belabor on a spot, you really can drag it out. Right. And then, not, and then it's not fun anymore. I know with my students, I can get so deep into things that, you know, my students are like, uh, Miss Buzzy, are we going to be moving on? Like, we kind of, we've, we've gone through this already. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I just want to make sure you know this <laughs> because this is super important. And I also look at it as an opportunity for them to learn how to research and go deep right? So let's talk about methods here. I I, I want to talk about the first time I wrote I a lesson plan really quick, um, how confused I felt. I was just so out of my element. And I really, I had to use what was given to me. And I think it's great that some curriculum you, you all get, you can open and go with it and that there's no thinking. But there is going to come a time where you're gonna to wanna to put your own flair into your lessons and you should. In the beginning, it's really cool to have someone walk you through step by step, but when looking at your overall lesson, you're eventually gonna to wanna to put your own style into it. Now, with your overall lesson, you wanna remember you're starting with the end in mind, right, like what is the end goal? What's your end project? I'll Mm -hmm. recap my end project. My end project is my students are going to be creating a presentation that they're going to talk about a solution to the kelp forest disappearing along the California coast. And they're gonna have to persuade a company to sponsor them to become part of their cause, to sponsor their cause. And their solution. So, with that, I have my focus question that is going to guide me as I'm creating these lessons, right? So, I know my end result where I want to get them. But as I'm going there, I need something that's going to constantly drive me to the focus. So, my focus question is the California coast, the California kelp forest. Is disappearing along the coast it's more like a focus statement but regardless it's going to keep me focused on the goal but when I listen when I read that the California kelp forest disappearing along the coast I have questions and I probably a lot of you should have questions like why why is the California kelp forest disappearing along the coast another question I wrote down was what is so important about the kelp forest in the first place is the kelp forest similar to regular land forests where are kelp forests located what is the function of a kelp forest that makes them so important what kind of marine animals or animals live in the kelp forest how big are kelp forests how deep do kelp forests go How much space do they take up in the pacific ocean what is kelp anyway with my focus question as my main phenomenon okay so i said the word phenomenon a lot of you're like what phenomenon a phenomenon is just an event in question so anything can be a phenomenon honestly i think sometimes you know We have basic definitions for words, and we don't realize that a word has multiple meanings because we just don't use that word very often, right? So phenomenon, how many times do you really use the word phenomenon, right? And um, we're going to be breaking down the other words that we're going to be looking into. Let's break down method. What is actually a method? A method is the orderliness of a thought or a behavior, right? So for our benefit, we're going to be looking the orderliness of behavior. It also means it also means systematic planning or a systematic action of a credible approach. The next word we're looking at is strategies. What does strategies really mean? Like we can think of them. We're like, we know how to use them in sentences every now and then. But when we're asked the definition of something, sometimes we're like, Oh, I guess I really don't know what the meaning is. Strategy, a plan of action, right? A plan of action to achieve a major or an overall aim. Then we have the word technique. Technique. Oh, and by the way, strategies a lot of times have not been proven. They're not has not always been proven. So strategies we try them out here and there to see do they work? Right? Is this plan of action going to work? Now, a technique, a technique is a way of carrying out a particular task within my plan of action, right? So within my plan of action, I'm going to have techniques that I go along the way. And this is proven and is efficient in time and resources. Okay. So with that, we have our three words, methods, strategies, and techniques. Now, before I learned all this stuff, I really was kind of grasping at straws and kind of just doing whatever the book told me. And I began to learn more and more the different ways that we can teach, right? There is a teacher-centered way of teaching. You can, you know, when the teacher decides the work, the teacher decides what is learned. that's really what, you know, traditional school is. And really, not even so much because it's like it's like the teacher doesn't doesn't decide what they're going to teach or given a book and someone else decides what they're teaching. But that's basically already decided, right? And I think that's why it's so cool that you guys have this freedom. And I can understand that the freedom kind of makes it a little bit scary, and it makes you feel like, oh my god, what what am I going to do? You know? And it's not that serious, you know. Just pick something that that's sciencey if you're going for science, something I mean, that's math related if it's math whatever subject you're doing just pick one thing and then just keep go with it and see where it takes you you're learning the subject so it's fine then we have student student centered right where the student decides work and the student decides what is learned and to a point i agree with that but at the same time they're the learners right? So there has to be a place where they're learning. Now I could, I can totally get behind where a kid's like, I like guitars. That's what I like. When then the parent says, okay, if you like guitars, let's find out everything about guitars. Let's find out the history of guitars. Let's find out how they're made. Let's find out the, you know, the physics behind the strings let's find out you see what I'm going at so you can it can be both and that's where in both together you both decide the work and you decide what is learned and i and i absolutely i love that because that really is where learning happens where the where your child is actually going to be able to see you struggle with things and try and figure things out and that's the beauty of everything when your kid is watching you overcome and strategize, they're learning how to do this as well. That's what makes homeschooling so powerful. And that's where they're gonna learn that social emotional learning. Social emotional learning like comes wrapped up in the education system of homeschooling. So it's not like we have to go and do some extra subject it actually is wrapped up within it because they're watching you and they're learning from you how to, um, how to you know, work things out, how not to get stressed out because you're also doing that at the same time. So it's super powerful, super powerful. Now there are different ways of you know, creating lessons, right? You can create lessons that are called inquiry-based, right? You have inquiry-based lessons. You have lecture-based lessons, project-based lessons, discussion-based lessons, experimental, problem-solving. You can have simulations. You can have acting, experiential. There's a lot of different things that you can do in a lesson. And you don't only have to do one in, in one lesson you can actually do a couple of these, right? Like you can do to start off with an inquiry based, you could have them inquire on something, then you can give a short lecture, right? And then you can have them do a problem solving and then they could have a discussion after. So you've just hit different, four different types of, you know, learning uh, methods, right? So let's just look at the first one inquiry based. What, Does inquiry based do? I love quotes. So I have a quote from Benjamin Franklin that I felt really fit inquiry based learning. He said, Tell me and I forget. Teach me and I remember. Involve me and I learn. Love it. Inquiry based learning. So inquiry based learning is a lot of reflection. They do a lot of wonder. They ask questions. They do investigations. They record, discover. that does a lot of thinking, creating. They try things out and then they discuss it. Right. That's a really those are method different ways to use inquiry based learning. Now lecture based learning. Lecture based learning is verbal. Right. Example is Khan Academy. Khan Academy. Is a lecture-based type of learning. If you don't know Khan Academy and you sometimes need descriptions and explanations, I would totally go on Khan Academy and you can um, go on to YouTube and type in Khan Academy and oh they're awesome. So then there's also projector, use a projector to put things on the on your on the board. Um, there's also practice questions that are considered lecture-based. TED Talks. I love TED Talks, by the way. I think TED Talks are awesome because they're short and they give you a lot of information. Also, writing surfaces, uh, exercise drills, visual displays. These are all considered a type of lecture-based learning. Then there's project-based. Love project-based. Me, I'm a big project person. Projects, they, they produce products. Right, they're authentic because the kid has to create it themselves. Uh, it could be a presentation; they could use a projector. And there's usually focus as a focus question based on it. So they can keep they can keep that um, at the forefront. There are driving questions, which those questions that I pulled out from my focus question were considered driving questions. Right? Then there's reflections and revisions. Um, there's a learner-centered collaboration inquiry. There's a lot that goes into project-based, and sometimes you'll see that they overlap with other other types of learning. So I want to say this other quote. It's by Norton Juster. It says, "It's not just learning that's important. It's learning what to do with what you learn, and learning." why you learn things that matters. Love it, love that. Oh my gosh, fantastic. Then there's discussion-based discussion-based learning. So discussion-based learning is exactly what you think, right? And here's some different things you can use in discussion-based learning. You can use the Socratic seminar method. You can use something called the fishbowl. I love the fishbowl. Um, and yeah, I'm not going to get into the fishbowl. You can look it up. That's a really fun one. Then there's think, pair, share. You think about it, you pair up and then you share it with your next person. Then you have the hot seat. A lot of times hot seat, we even use that in masterminds, right? When you have entrepreneurs that come together and they have like these masterminds that come together and then they have this one person go in the hot seat and they discuss what they're going through and then people are listening. That's the hot seat. Philosophical chairs, kind of like, like um, you know, uh, musical chairs, right? Philosophical chairs. We have affinity mapping, which is fantastic. Pinwheel discussion. I love pinwheel discussion. Gallery walks. Absolutely love gallery walks where the kids have all of their stuff all over the wall. And we walk around. And we do a discussion base about that. And basic Conver stations. Conver stations. You have stations with questions where they have to have a conversation. Fantastic. These are really fun ways of, you know, doing discussion-based learning. And then, you know, you have your debates, right? Your actual debates where that's a lot of fun too. Then there's experimental. Experimental is the basics of the scientific method, right? We observe, we question, we research, we predict we test with an experiment, we record our results, we analyze our data and then we draw conclusions. Here's a really cool um, quote. All experiments are learning experiences even when they don't go as planned by Paige Hudson. Super cool, really like that. Then we have our other learning. We have problem solving again now you're probably going to hear a lot of the other ones that I've talked about they're going to start getting recycled you'll you'll be hearing that because there's just about so much you can <laughs> really do so here's a problem solving so problem solving is where you're looking up answers you are doing research, you're doing investigations, you're doing discoveries. And, you know, these are ways that you can problem solve things. You can draw conclusions, you ask more questions, you do more research, right? Then there is the traditional learning, right? So traditional learning is told what we need to know. We memorize it. We, the problem's assigned to illustrate how to use it, right? Then the problem-based learning is problem assigned. So problem-based learning is a little bit backwards, right? So let's go backward. It's problem assigned is first. We identify what we need to know. Then we learn and apply to solve the problem. So hope that makes sense when it comes down to problem solving. Then we have simulation. Simulation is experimental learning, right? Reflective practices. We support critical learning. It's a safe and risk-free environment, right? Assimilation. A child can go and go underwater in a tank and never have to experience all the things that go with having your body to adapt to underwater um uh, submarines so it's safe risk-free environment it's also deliberate it's repeated and you can practice it over and over again it's practical application of knowledge uh, and it's a comprehensive experience right here's another quote simulation is a popular training tool because it reduces the learning time and allows students to learn independently a lot of our military do simulations when it comes down to like flying and different types of techniques and and strategies that they're using in in war. So then there's also acting or drama-based pedagogy, right? So drama-based or acting. I absolutely love this part. So it, it enacts struggles and empathy, right? Also debate controversies, It solves problems as a character versus making it personal, right? We safely explore historical events by acting them out. Deeper examinations of situations. Let me go back to safely explore historical events. So there is like, on the East Coast, they have reenactments of like, you know, um, different wars that were going on. And because there's no... Ammunition and things like that. They're just reenacting. They're able to really explore historical events and get into their minds without actually being in danger, like re- recreation of different scenarios. Also, another quote. This quote says, I believe we owe our young education, our young, an education that captures. The Exhilarating Drama of Science, that's by Brian Green. Then we have our last one, experiential, experiential learning. So experiential learning is when our kids are able to start making decisions, they're deciding, they're reflecting, they're imagining, they're thinking, analyzing acting balancing initiating experiencing this is a learning process by which knowledge is created through the transformation of experience that's by david a kolb I probably butchered his last name but that's what it is that's who he is and you know all these different ways of learning and i know it's a lot of information coming at you and you can. What's really great about podcasts is you can stop them and you can re-listen to them again, and you can do a, a deeper dive on your own and explore each one of these and see which one works for you and your family's lifestyle and your and your child's learning experiences. And now, when it comes down to timing, like I said, I have taken sometimes way too long in different lessons where my students had to tell me it's time to move on, Miss Buzzy, and because, you know, timing is just like a shot in the dark. You know, I found that a good framework for being able to identify how long an assignment should take is for me to do the experiment first or the activity. Then I kind of multiply the time uh, by four. If they're younger, I'll multiply it a little bit more, right? And, And if they're older, I multiply it by like, two or three so like if it takes me 60 minutes to do something i'll multiply it by four which means i might it might take four days with my students if it took me 60 minutes and i'm doing it with high school students it might just take them two times uh two days or three days not as much because they are older and they have stronger comprehension anyways i hope this helps um please let me know i'm gonna do a summary Let's recap really quick. We learned about the differences between educational approaches and methodologies. We also learned what those methodologies were and the strategies around them. We also learned that with each strategy, there are techniques to achieve the unique learning goal. And lastly, we learned briefly how timing our activities needs to be monitored, but not rigid but also you don't want to beat a dead horse. So if you have any questions, please feel free to send me an email at realedtalk at gmail.com. I really do look forward to your emails and hearing your questions. Thanks and have a great day.